Hello, and welcome to Amplify. Music there from Ed Bennett, the title track from his new album, Psychedelia, on NMC Recordings. And we feature a conversation with Ed about the album this week. Also on the show... I would never have gotten these 18 performers to find the time to do this. These are all incredibly busy, sought-after players, so... To coordinate all of this in our old real world would have been very, very difficult. Karen Power on artistic collaboration and producing a new album, Human Nature, during lockdown. This is episode 28. And as always, I'm joined today by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. How are you, Yvonne? I'm well, Jonathan. I'm uh, getting settled into uh, a winter routine of those shorter days and very long nights, aren't we all? Indeed. So this episode of the podcast focuses on two new recordings by Ed Bennett and Karen Power. And in the absence of widespread live performances as a result of the pandemic, I guess recordings have taken on added importance for the new music community. Absolutely, Jonathan. You, you mean you really couldn't have uh, said a truer word. I mean, it's just so important. They always have been of the utmost importance in terms of engaging with audiences, reaching new audiences. And they're just even more important than ever now that um, that recordings are, are getting out there and that composers and performers are given support to make those recordings and to promote those recordings. I mean, it's just vital dissemination in terms of new music from Ireland. There's been a real wonderful uh, array of recent releases hasn't there Jonathan you know we're going to we're going to talk about two in this episode but you know there's also been a release from from Neil O'Connor from his Ordnance Survey project Ampere on Scintilla Records and Linda Buckley's new release on NMC recordings from Ocean's Flower and of course the very recent release that uh, we launched last night on our online salon the first salon of this the winter series and that was launching Ian Wilson's new release on the diatribe label Wild is the Wind and the album as the title suggests built around wind instruments and celebrating musicians that Ian has worked with across many years and to launch the CD we uh, spoke on the salon with Ian and saxophonist Cahal Roach and Tees Melema who uh, feature on the album and we spoke about the composer performer collaboration and uh, I really enjoyed the, the interaction between the three of them Jonathan on the, on the salon last night and it's uh, available to watch back of course as always on CMC's YouTube and Facebook and full details of the winter series of the CMC online salon will be released on our website and across our social media channels over the coming weeks. And we include details for all these releases by Ed Bennett, Karen Power and Ian Wilson in our show notes. And so to our first conversation with Karen Power. And I spoke to Karen in late August of this year, just before the release of her album Human Nature. During our chat, Karen spoke about the album, which pairs field recordings she made over a seven-year period with different solo performers and the process involved in putting the album together during lockdown. Let's listen now. 
this is a project that I conceived, started and completed between May and August of this year. So entirely during lockdown. In some ways, I suppose it's a polar opposite to the way I normally work as a composer. I'm sort of mostly known for pieces that rely on that intimate relationship between listener and performer, pieces that compose a space and invite a listener into that space. So I guess when COVID-19 happened and when everything stopped, I was getting a lot of questions around would I go and, and field record in all these quiet spaces? And it was just proving very, very difficult to find the energy to do that. And so I began to think about what could I do and how could I keep myself motivated? And so this relationship between human and nature is something that I've been working on for years. So I wanted to simplify everything and just pull away all of the safety nets and focus on one human and one environment or one piece of nature, one animal, uh, one aspect, and really kind of strip it down to just that. I've had the pleasure of working with an amount of amazing musicians, all of whom are currently sitting in isolation. What can we do to keep in contact and to keep creative? So I emailed a whole load of musicians that I've worked with before or whom I've seen perform and we've had conversations and I felt would understand what I was trying to do. And so I selected 18 extracts from field recordings dating from 2012 up to 2019. <laughs> these recordings were chosen specifically for these works because I felt that at the time of recording each of these, there was something musical about the way these places and the way these animals were behaving. So there was a like a natural rhythm, a layering of textures, a melody, a sense of structure, of cohesion. And so I wanted to bring a sort of a musical ear onto that, and at the same time bring a musician who has all of the musical elements and bring a natural ear to that musician. So that's kind of the idea.
I would never have gotten these 18 performers to find the time to do this. These are all incredibly busy, sought after players. So to coordinate all of this in our old real world would have been very, very difficult. The most set thing about each of these pieces is the time. Each performer is, according to their oral part, knows when to play and when not to play. But I don't dictate what they play or I don't dictate what instrument they use. In the case of Seth Yozel, Seth is, is a guitarist. He could use his guitars, of which he has many, and he put his creative voice on the kinds of pedals that he used. Each performer, I've identified a minimum of two musical elements that I want them to focus on. So it could be pitch, could be rhythm, it could be texture. It appears to be a really open piece, but as you get into it, and the more you listen, and the more you practice and rehearse, you'll realize that your options are incredibly limited. This is something that I've been trying to achieve with pieces like this, but I can safely say that it's the first time I feel like I've achieved it. Oftentimes with pieces like this, when it's performers you don't know, scores like this can be slightly dismissed as being easier and so therefore don't need as much rehearsal time. But in actual fact, what's being asked of the performer, I believe, is really, really difficult. How did you decide which field recording to pair with which performer? Some of that was kind of a gut instinct. Some of it was linked to the interests that I knew some of those performers had. For example, in the pairing of Uta Vossiman with Seals is partially because myself and Uta work a lot together. Like I've put her in, in the Amazon, I've put her in Australia. So I felt, okay, I, I want to give her something that's actually something a little bit different. And Uta has this incredible low range. She can get sort of sub harmonics. And I thought, ooh, okay, so maybe I can draw some of those out. Sometimes it was slightly playful. In Laurie's case, I gave her some birds because this is something that she herself has been working on. And then other times it was a little private joke between myself and the performer. Quite playful.
You mentioned that you could hear that there was something musical in the sound. Is that something that you picked up on immediately as you're recording it there and then on the spot? Or is this something that you listen back over what you've recorded and you think, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I didn't catch that at the time. And the imagination starts to flow in terms of what possibilities there are with that particular recording. I mean, how does that whole area work? Mostly it happens there and then, and mostly it's a surprise. You know, one of the reasons that I've spent so many years doing this kind of work is because I'm constantly surprised. It offers so much inspiration. It could just have been that I've heard elements in the structure of the space. I suppose it's about listening to a space and listening to the potential of points of connectivity with those spaces. Of course, there are a whole load of scenarios where it's pure panic accord because something is happening and I'm there and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God, I've got to, got to get this down. And, you know, and so you're sort of running with cables and trying to get it before it disappears and stuff like that. So, you know, it, it, it depends. The joy about field recording is that it's a very intimate act. And the nice thing about what's happened with this CD is that that level of intimacy has actually run right the way through the concept. Because these performers, they rehearsed and performed these pieces alone, which is the same way that I made the recordings. And they performed them to nobody and they recorded them. And then they sent them back to me, who mixed the whole thing alone. I quite like the poetic little dance um, that's happened or, or the way the whole thing has, has come together. an example of you know sort of art in the time of COVID in that the collaboration is international it's online in that you're sending the recordings and they're sent they're recording them yourself themselves and they're sending it back to you and then also what strikes me is that you have these rich examples of field recordings are beautifully recorded so evocative in terms of the geographical spread both from sort of the built environment to the natural environment Australia the Amazonian forests Peru and that's during a time when we're all restricted in that even if we wanted to visit these amazing places that you've recorded in we can't so I think there's something poetic in that and something maybe slightly sad in that too. Yeah, I, it, it had dawned on me. I'm listening to these recordings at a time when I had all this freedom and the only restriction of getting to places like that was money. <laughs> I was very, very lucky that we actually managed to get to Namibia at the very beginning of this year. 
And that was the second time to go. I wanted to go back to record some things. And thank God we did, because I don't know when the next time I'll be able to sit on top of a dune and hear nothing but the movement of sand underneath. The work that I make, because it is rooted in the real world, I, I do hope that people listen to it and think for a minute about the way they are in the world. There's not a message. The message is what you take away from it. In music, we're always talking about inclusivity and connection and uh, communication. And this is something that I try to do in my own work in the, the nature of the materials that I use and the way I communicate with performers. So getting even a performer to think about that role of interpretation, you know, I'm sort of less interested in where my job as a composer ends and a performer's role begins. So I like the idea of everybody negotiating a new space for themselves in response to the real world. That's part of the exchange that interests me. And in doing that, I offer each of the performers enough help in the way they might interpret or the way they might respond. That help should not hold them back either. It shouldn't stop an improviser from responding and using their training. But it is necessary for maybe a performer who's not comfortable with improvisation. So there's a sort of a sliding scale written into the, the scores. And that's something that I've been developing over the last six, seven years. Sirens of New York from Karen Power as released on her album Human Nature. And for details of all the recordings used, please see the show notes for the podcast. Next, Ed Bennett and his new album Psychedelia, which was released a few weeks back on NMC Records. Eagerly awaited release from Ed. That's right. And I actually spoke to Ed on the day of the album's release. He spoke to me about the whole process of producing an album of his work and how he works so closely with the music for an extended period of time, something which doesn't normally happen when a piece is rehearsed and performed in a concert. Hi, can you hear me? Sorry, I'm he also reflects sort of... on hearing his older works and how he often sees these as being written by a different composer. And of course, he talks about the pieces on the album. See if that's any better. Did that change anything, Jonathan? Oh, yeah, that does sound better. Yeah. Yeah. Here it is.
a little bit like I imagine publishing a novel or something, you know, I mean, I've never published a novel, <laughs> but just in terms of scale, from the point of instigating it, you know, which was actually about three years ago, to getting it out, you sort of wonder, will it ever happen? It's kind of a relief. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like putting a you know microscope on your music. There's the whole process of recording the work, any editing that needs done, mixing the work. You spend an awful lot of time with the music. a piece of music you know you maybe have a few hours or whatever with an ensemble or an orchestra and you work on stuff there in a recording it's a much more protracted process you, you spend an awful lot of time in music listening over and over and over again and by the time you get to the end of that you can even feel a little bit sick of it because you've just heard it so much and that can play all sorts of games with your mind you know god is that any good is it worth doing and and also, in this case, it's a collection of works written over a 10-year span. I think we're all constantly evolving. So you, you hear things like the older works on the record. You do hear very differently. You can't hear them as the same person. Falling, which is the first track on the record, is about seven, eight years old. The piece I kind of like, but it's not just a piece I would write now. There is an element of that's a different composer. Not entirely, but but the truth is it is a different composer because it, it was me eight years ago, and an awful lot has changed in that eight years. healthy actually to think well you have changed and you constantly change and uh, but it certainly makes you think about what you did then and what you might do now and also when you hear it all together <laughs> sometimes you think but I need to try harder I need to push further you know For me, it's quite hard to live with pieces, you know, in a way. I always hear things that I think could be done better in the piece. So yeah, there's always an inner critic, which is a little bit sometimes harsher than others. But but I, I, I also think an element of that's important because that's what keeps us developing and keeps us moving forward and keeps us questioning. And I, and I always think for any artist, you know, if if you don't need to do that anymore, you probably don't need to make work anymore. You've probably found the answer, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. I really think of myself as the listener. I mean, I say this to students sometimes, you know, put yourself in the audience, what do you want to hear? Try and detach yourself from the work itself and actually think what you want to hear when you sit in an auditorium or a hall and 
not about trying to please people or what you might think someone might like, because you can't really possibly know. I really like it when everyone's playing at once. There's something about an ensemble just all interacting and working together that really appeals to me, you know? terms it's to do with the idea of trying to find a sound with an ensemble or an orchestra or whatever where the thing is like an instrument itself and then I wonder somehow as well does it come from a kind of having a background and musics where that might be more prominent like even rock music or folk music or even even jazz you know okay you take you might have solos but you know the rhythm section's always going or, you know, or, or whatever. There isn't somebody who comes in and plays the triangle for, you know, three bars and then sits down again. It could be something to do with that, having that background and feeling like the band should all be playing. But mainly I think it's sonically. I kind of I like the idea of a seething mass of musicians <laughs> all sort of working to make this sound. Something really beautiful about that, I think, for me. And it worked like psychedelia. I'm still trying to achieve a large sound, a big unified sound. It's like I'm trying to find something that's different. I don't want to just do it with rhythm and pulse, which I've done a lot, but I'm trying to find other ways to do that as well. And the sort of patterns and things that I might use, I'm trying to find other ways to use those. It brings out a different type of color, maybe more detail. So it's maybe a little bit more hitting you over the head and a bit more sort of inviting you in slowly <laughs> to the music. Normally with every piece I write, there are lots of possibilities about what the piece could be. Sometimes it's clearer than others about what it should be. Certainly with Psychedelia, I hadn't written an orchestra piece of that scale since Free Falling. And I knew that I didn't want to do that again in that piece. I knew I wanted to, to explore something more subtle. I kind of almost forced myself to do it. Even when writing a piece, there are always doubts that creep in. And then you start thinking, well, it could have been this. It could have been this other thing. And then, and I suppose in a way, those ideas are all getting stored. So, okay, maybe you don't do that in this piece, but you might do that in another piece, you know? With Psychedelia, I mean, that's my favorite piece that I've written ever. I just felt I got towards something in it, in the music, that I came close to something that I'd like music to be. Not quite there yet, but close. <laughs> so.
you like to hear everybody playing together in an ensemble, that sort of seething mass of sound. What other things would you say linked to that or tied into that would be important for you when it comes to your approach? The idea of being caught in a moment is something that really appeals to me. Being caught in a moment that you really like or is really exciting or is euphoric or is ecstatic even, that is an ideal, you know, in music because it's very hard to do in reality. In music, I think it's something we, we all experience and it might be fleeting. And I think that's such a beautiful thing about music, especially in live performance. My ideal is to have this sort of state where you're in a kind of euphoria and an ecstasy. It's one thing to have an idea of what you want to do with something, but then to actually achieve it and see it through is another matter, you know, and it's a kind of constant struggle, really. It can be a battle with technique, can be a battle with your confidence in the work, you have an idea and then you're trying to realize that idea and that process is not necessarily a smooth one. In fact, I'd say most composers will tell you it's normally not. It's messy, you know, and what people see at the end is this kind of thing that popped out perfectly formed or whatever. Certainly in my case, it's the result of an awful lot of editing. Can be really frustrating for a composer, I think, and certainly is for myself. Sometimes the finished result seems really quite simple at the end of the day, but you've spent months trying to get there, and you're like, Well, why didn't I just do that when I started? Because I seem to have spent an awful lot of time, <laughs> it almost seems like doing nothing, you know. But of course, you're not doing nothing, you're you can through the whole process, but it can be very frustrating, you know. One day you can think it's working really well, and the next day you see the same thing isn't going so well, depending on your state of mind, your mood, or there's a state of flux with that. And you need to try and view your work each day a little bit like a stranger, you know? You need to step back a bit and be able to, to see uh, what's really going on with it. That's why a lot of artists go on long walks or, you know, or run or cycle or whatever, you know? Uh, do something else because it's subconscious or it helps sort a lot of that stuff out actually. spend less hours at my desk now than I used to. I kind of understand more or have come to realize more that it is important to spend time deliberately away from it rather than trying to force it, which is a frustrating thing if you're trying to achieve something, I mean, in terms of getting it done. When you're doing creative work, it's not sadly uh, as quantifiable as that. So sometimes a good walk is the best way to sort it out, you know.
I think the pandemic has been difficult creatively for a lot of people. If I'm honest, it certainly has for me because I find it harder to produce work, which has been a bit of a shock because at the start of it, I was like, okay, well, we're going to do this for a few months and that's okay. It means I can spend some time getting ahead, you know? After the initial impetus, I started to realize that the whole process of what I do is so interdependent on everything else. The musicians I work with, the audience that hears the music, it's all like a cyclical thing, you know? It all feeds into itself. That whole process informs what your next piece of work is. The positive aspect is that I think the time to reflect is going to be really useful. So being here back in Ireland and being in a kind of nice environment by the sea, etc., it is a long time for reflection. I think that artistically in the long run will be beneficial. When we emerge from this pandemic, whenever that is, is there anything you think you might do differently compared to your life before this from a creative point of view? It's, it's hard to say. It's really, really important for me and probably for all of us to sort of maintain a sense of community in what we do because it helps us creatively. It's a good lesson in the fact that we kind of need each other to do what we do. So I think I'll probably spend less time in solitude and maybe again, going back to the sort of work, how the process, like maybe I don't need to spend so much time at my desk, you know, maybe I need to work in other ways. But to be honest, I'm not entirely sure what those are yet, you know. Ed, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck with the release. Not at all. Thank you, Jonathan. Ed Bennett's Magnetic for Bass Clarinet and Piano, performed by Jack McNeil and Eliza McCarthy on the album Psychedelia from NMC Recordings. That's all for this week. Join us in two weeks' time for another episode. Until then, bye for now and thanks for listening.